Welcome to Firefighting in Canada, the podcast, brought to you by Cubit Fire. Cubit Fire is an end-to-end solution for fire inspections. Cubit Fire integrates with the rest of your ecosystem and offers unparalleled user experience and performance. You've tuned in for compelling conversation on hot topics impacting Canada's fire service. From Hope, BC, I'm Fire Chief Tom DeSorcy. On Friday, January 28th, 2022, the Ontario government posted a proposed regulation on the Ontario uh, Regulatory Registry website for mandatory minimum training standard certification for Ontario's firefighters. Joining us today to talk more about it is uh, Deputy Chief Rob Grimwood from Mississauga, Ontario, and the president of the Ontario Association of Fire Chiefs, the OAFC. Chief, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Uh, appreciate you having me on. Happy to be here. We're going to talk today, of course, about certification and what's going on in Ontario. First off, a little bit of history and background. Can you give us some to tell us where this, how this began? This, this didn't happen overnight. No, uh, it, it most certainly didn't. It's, it's been a bit of a long journey. It's a, probably a, been about 10 years now. Uh, we used to have what we called the Ontario Fire Service Standards, and it was a made in Ontario uh, standard for each position, firefighter, officer, training, prevention, so on and so forth. Um, it included all of the typical job performance requirements. But uh, about 10 years ago, what we came to realize is that we were basically just replicating the NFPA standards, right? There was, there was no significant difference. There was no real advantage. And we know that NFPA does a great job. They, um, they update them every five years and they're very robust. And, and frankly, we just saw it as redundant. Why, why would we try and have our own standards that say almost exactly the same thing and, and struggle to have the capacity to keep them up? So that was sort of the first shift was adopting um, NFPA. And then in Ontario, the fire college shifted. We had a firefighter curriculum. We had a company officer curriculum. And, and that migrated to become NFPA 1001, 1021, so on and so forth. And then a few years ago, the, the provincial government went this route and actually posted uh, and approved a regulation that would regulate mandatory minimum training standards and certification. It was a similar standard uh, or regulation to what you see today. It was met with a lot of resistance, I I guess is a fair statement. Uh, We had adopted NFPA, we had embraced the idea of that as a training standard, but the idea of making it mandatory was very new. So there was a lot of resistance and there was a lot of discussion about the achievability. And, And I mean, Ontario is, not unlike any of the other uh, provinces, but we're very, very diverse. I mean, you're talking about applying a regulation to the city of Toronto that has 3 million residents and 3,000 firefighters and applying the exact same regulation to uh, a one building, one truck, volunteer, true volunteer department where even the chief doesn't get paid uh, that runs 10 calls a year with eight volunteers and then everything in between. So Uh, the government of the day repealed it with the intention of trying to figure out, you know, what was missing? What what drove the resistance? uh, How can we help departments get from point A to point B? And so that's the work that's gone on behind the scenes. And then, as you mentioned, January 28th, uh, a new version of the regulation with some built-in flexibility and some changes and a, a wider engagement of members was released. 
I'm I'm a small volunteer department or say I am in, in, in Ontario, as you mentioned, that one hall. What does this do for me as of uh, January 28th? What does it mean to that small department now? What do I have to do or what changes do I have to make to to continue to operate? That, that's the million dollar question for a lot of our volunteer departments. And, and what it comes down to is, what are you doing today? If, if what you're doing today is that you're already training to NFPA standards. So you're utilizing the standard, you're utilizing the, the written knowledge components and the job performance checklist, and you're training frequently enough and, and you have a solid training program. All it means for you is that you have to have the evaluation piece. So you would have four years for most of the components and six years for technical rescue. The Ontario Fire Marshal's office would uh, arrange and send out an evaluator at no cost. An evaluator would attend your department and you, you would demonstrate the skills. Now, one of the biggest changes this time around is that if you're a full service department, which is interior fire attack, technic, um, auto extrication and hazmat, you would certify the NFPA standard. So the evaluator would do the written test and the uh, practical skills. So for, for most volunteer chiefs, what, what we're trying to tell them is that as much as this is, is scary, it's change, right? And change is scary for a lot of people. Uh, and it, it is work and it's gonna require a bit of a cultural shift. At the end of this process, it gives you that defined training program. It, you, it gives you the road the roadmap, right? Uh, so we're, we're hoping that chiefs embrace it. Most of our chiefs are embracing it without a doubt. And uh, at the end of the day, four years from now, what you get is, is consistency and standardization. You know that your firefighters have met the minimum standard, your apparatus operators, your officers, they, they have met the, the rigorous NFPA standard and it, you have a better, safer fire department. Now, if you're not a full service department, so you do exterior attack, you're not required to certify to NFPA. You're just required to demonstrate the skills to which your department provides to the fire marshal's office and you receive a letter of compliance. So the OAFC sees that as a big win. They, it, was, it was going to be very difficult to get an exterior attack fire department, obviously, to certify to NFPA 1001 for firefighters because it's not skills they perform. So we think that this new regulation has that flexibility. You've mentioned full service, you've mentioned exterior. Is there an interior status as well? So there is. So full service is interior plus auto X plus hazmat. Less than full service means you're missing one of those. So maybe your exterior and auto X, but not hazmat or your exterior and hazmat, but not auto X or, or you're only one of the three. British Columbia uh, did this a number of years ago with uh, the playbook, which I'm sure you're, you're familiar with, where we had to declare what training standard we were going to train toward, be it exterior, interior, or full service. Uh, no certifications involved yet. Uh, I think that might be coming. What other feedback have you had, if any, from other provinces uh, now that you've taken the step? You know, that's a very interesting point. I actually haven't had any feedback from the other provinces. We've been so focused on engaging our members over the last 30 days. Um, we, have, we have 441 different fire departments and uh, the OAFC board of directors. We literally did an across the province roadshow. We uh, through a series of 16 virtual meetings, it, it, the one obviously the one 
big benefit of COVID is that with Zoom meetings and our virtual capability, we were able to travel from Northern Ontario to Eastern Ontario in a day. And we talked to 550 of our members. So um, it's a great question. We haven't had any dialogue uh, with other provinces, but I, I'm assuming at some point we will. When BC first came out with the uh, with the playbook, it was brand new. And for, again, you're right, with smaller departments like mine, where we kind of trained but didn't have the, you know, the, the regime, if you will, uh, this, this raised our game totally and brought us into a different world. I, at first, and maybe I'm still the same, I don't care for the term, exterior, interior, full service. Uh, it seems to me and disagree with me or agree that the public doesn't understand if we make a public declaration like we have, that's what we have to do in our, in our local government is our council has to declare our level that we're going to train toward. And if we said we were going to be exterior, the public thinks that we're going to stand by and watch their house burn down. How do you, how do you yeah. answer that? We actually see the process of every municipality reviewing and revising their level of service as being one of the other big wins of this. We have departments in Ontario who haven't updated their establishing and regulating bylaw and their levels of service in, in literally decades. We're hearing from fire chiefs that the last time it was approved by council was in the 1970s. So you, you nailed it. There's a, there's a disconnect between what we do what the public expects from us and what our councils believe that we're doing. So again, as much as it adds work to fire chiefs, we actually see that as, as maybe the biggest win of all is that all 441 of our departments are going to have that discussion with council. What do you expect of us? You know, what do you see our level of services being? And the, as a fire chief, this is the level of support I would need. This is the level of staffing and funding. If you see us as performing these eight services, I need this. If you see us performing four services, I need this. And then having that, that really transparent discussion with, with residents so that they understand exactly what it means. The interior and exterior is one piece, but the technical rescue, I think, is a really big animal where departments are not necessarily aligned with the expectations of their councils and citizens about if, if somebody falls through a hole in the ice, are we really trained and equipped to perform the rescue or is it just wording in an ENR bylaw? So, so we see that as, as, a, uh, as basically a parallel project for the chiefs and we see that as having huge benefit to public and firefighter safety. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of the, uh, the farm team concept, you know, embracing the fact that for years we tried to protect our members from the big departments, train them to a certain level, but don't overtrain them so they go somewhere else. The opposite of that is train them as best you can, get the most out of them while you can, knowing that you're close to the lower mainland in my case, and uh, a lot of them are going to move forward into the into the career ranks. Uh, do you see that in Ontario? Is this going to benefit the Mississaugas of the world in terms of the uh, of the rank and file coming to uh, bolster your ranks? I think it is, but I mean, I think we're already there. The the large departments, the Mississaugas, the Toronto's, the the large urban departments. They're already hiring uh, new recruits. That are, they're, all our new recruits are coming in fully certified. They've either been a volunteer and done it in-house. They've taken a community college program. So will this increase that? Maybe to a degree, but I feel exactly the same way as you. There should not be a single municipality that limits or puts a ceiling on the level of training. I mean, I'd rather lose an exceptional firefighter after a few years because they follow their 
path into their profession, then tell firefighters, we're going to undertrain you to try and keep you. I, I could not agree with you more. Phrase I use at nauseum is the fact that the best thing we can teach a, a young firefighter is how to become an old one. And giving them, the, giving them the tools and the skills to progress further in our business and treat it as our business because it's not just the fire department in Hope or Mississauga. It is all the communities that we are, we're part of in Canada. Uh, you talk about the roadshow and you said you, you went around, uh, did the, was it a sales pitch? I mean, this, this is kind of, it's kind of mandatory. It's kind of, this is the way it's going to be. Or did you have to sell it to the, especially the smaller departments? It was interesting. It, it, we took the different approach which is that we did less talking and more listening. So the fire marshal's office in Ontario, and we've been working exceptionally close with them, they did their own um, technical briefings. They did their own meetings. So they were the ones that were really presenting what this looks like. The OAFC, we wanted to hear from our members and ask them, what are the stumbling blocks? You know, we, we knew that resistance got this regulation repealed at a certain point in time. And we wanted to hear from them. What, what are the stumbling blocks? What are, you, what are the concerns with implementing? So it was interesting. We compiled uh, 100 plus pages of things that our members said. And because we heard from them, we were able to theme it. And some of them are so simple. Some of them are just clarifying um, misunderstandings, right? Or, how do I interpret this part of the regulation? Some of them are feedback about training programs. Some of them are, are them saying, I don't have the budget right now to do this. Is there going to be education for councils so that uh, my councils understand what this means? At the end of the day, uh, I, I fully see this as achievable. I think we take what our members heard and we work with the fire marshal's office and, and we go through the list. And, and frankly, that's what's happening here. We've, uh, uh, we, we're already into that dialogue. So I, I really, I see our organization as being very much solutions driven. We want to sit down. Let's have the discussion. These are what the members see as the roadblocks. They're not insurmountable at all. And, and uh, let's bring this to a successful conclusion. When you say you basically listened to what the fire departments had to say, was there any concerns that took you by surprise? What were the, what were the biggest? And, and again, what were the biggest questions also was uh, that came out of that? I wouldn't say anything took us by surprise. Um, so some of the themes we heard was about, because we're such a large province and so many departments and so varied, we heard from chiefs who said that they, they want to be more empowered to be able to do this in-house. So delegated authority for performing the evaluations. Moving to online testing was a big theme. Um, and I mean, these are all good things. They talked about accessibility to specialized training, uh, like hazardous materials and technical rescue, who's going to deliver that training because it's complicated, material costs. Um, the, the fire service has been training forever and ever, but the idea of doing a written test doesn't happen in most departments. So they talked about the need to acquire enough textbooks and online subscriptions for their members. I would say there was nothing that took us by surprise at all. It was just a case of theming everything and, and trying to put them in the right buckets so that we could uh, work through them. It's quite a, uh, a large project for, uh, for a chief's association to be taking on. Is this something that is going to be maintained by OAFC or is it something that will be under the umbrella, say, of a fire marshal's office? So it, it's absolutely the fire marshal's office that has ownership over the regulation. But we see ourselves as a partner. Our, our members look to us for support. So 
we do see the OAFC having a role moving forward, it, even if the role is as simple as, so, so I mean, we have departments who told us we're already done. This regulation does not only doesn't it scare us, we're, we've been there, done that. We're, we've, it's in our rear view mirror. So one of the simple things that we've committed to do is uh, communicate that. So if I'm a fire chief who's struggling, we will keep a repository of training programs and training plans from departments who have achieved this. So if I'm a chief of a town of 8,000 people and I'm struggling, I go to the OAFC and I say, do you have a chief of a town of 8,000 people who's done this? Put me in touch with them. And uh, I see the OAFC really providing that member support and helping each other. But for sure, this is the fire marshal's office. This is their baby and, and uh, they've got ownership over it, but they, they work exceptionally well with us. So I, I do see it as a partnership also. Benefits of, of the association. And I've always said that I've been a big proponent of, of being involved in associations in this business in particular. Uh, I, I see this when I first saw the playbook come out, I treated it as validation for what we were trying to do and where we wanted to go. Is that kind of the positive theme you're seeing as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the other thing we're telling chiefs is if, if you're already training, having somebody show up at your department on a training night from a from a neutral third party and having your crews demonstrate the knowledge is absolutely validation of your training program. And I mean, none of us are perfect. So if you learn something throughout the way, you tweak your training program, you make a few improvements, then ultimately your firefighters benefit. We see this improving the safety and performance of firefighters. Absolutely, without a doubt. People in Ontario, and I guess firefighters across Canada, uh, in particular chiefs and, and training personnel, I'm, I'm sure are interested and tweaked by all of this, looking at British Columbia, looking into Ontario. Uh, obviously, to find out more, check out uh, what, what BC is doing, check out what Ontario is doing. You guys have some great resources on your website at, uh, at OAFC, correct? That's correct. Thank you. I think that uh, it's important, uh, this conversation. I, I, I enjoy talking about associations. I enjoy talking about progress. Part of me says, having been in this, in this game for a few years, is why it took this long, is my question, as to why we had to, where we, this is where we need to be, totally. Yes, I, it's, I'm the same way. I'm in my 26th year, and I've gone through three basically distinct different training programs. I started with a, a fire college specific, and then I transitioned into the Ontario specific, and then I transitioned into the NFBA. And I look back and I say the same thing. Why did it take so long for us to standardize and find that consistency? I like to find out more when I do these podcasts, I talk to people, I meet people of people that I've met obviously in my career uh, as well. And, but I never know enough about them. And I want to quickly talk about your, your department, I mean, you're in Mississauga. I'm in Hope, British Columbia. Mississauga, more than just the home of the Toronto airport, uh, I would think. Uh, you've probably got some challenges, a little, little background and, and such on, on what you've got going on there. Sure. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, no doubt Mississauga sometimes gets lost to a degree in the shadow of Toronto, but we're, we're the third largest fire department in Ontario. We, have, uh, we serve a population of around 900,000 people. Uh, we have 700 plus members. We operate uh, out of 21 fire stations. So we're, we're a huge department without a doubt. I happen to be, my portfolio includes overseeing the training di division. So as much as I'm, I'm having this OAFC engagement and talking to our members, the other piece of this is that I'm going to be the chief responsible for implementing this in Mississauga. And so, you know, one of the things that I say to our members is, 
if I'm not afraid of implementing this in the third biggest department in Ontario, you don't have anything to worry about either. We're going to help each other. The OFM is going to help us. You know, everything's going to be okay. So yeah, we're, we're a large department. We perform the broad base of technical rescues. We perform all the technical rescue disciplines at the technician level, hazardous materials. We have uh, a number of 400 series highways, obviously the international airport. So Mississauga is a big animal, but it's a great department, uh, progressive leadership, great firefighters. And absolutely, we're, uh, we're up to the challenge of, and again, Mississauga has been working towards certification. We weren't waiting for this regulation. So we look forward to the next four to six years to finish this project off. And wearing the hat of the president of the OAFC, uh, it's been a tough, tough couple of years in the past. Talk real quick about the importance of your association in the fire service and, and in general, the association in general, and what it's meant to, uh, to the memberships to, uh, to keep them moving forward in these past two years. Yeah, no doubt. It has been a tough two years. So we see the association as serving the members. So we see ourselves as that frontline resource. If a member has an issue, they need help, they need assistance, they call us. But we also do see ourselves as that um, political advocacy group. And that's, that's really paid off through COVID. Um, it, it's impossible to have 441 different fire departments uh, trying to advocate on their own for um, access to vaccinations, access to personal protective equipment early on in the pandemic. A lot like other departments, uh, you know, in Ontario, our departments were running out of masks and gowns and whatnot. So the OAFC took on a leadership role where we spoke on behalf of all fire departments and had those open discussions. Um, our provincial government, frankly, was incredibly responsive. We ended up at being able to advocate for early access to vaccinations, uh, advocate for personal protective equipment that was provided through the fire marshal's office. We shared best practices through COVID. So the association plays a huge role. We, we are really here to serve the members. Are there member or I guess non-member departments that you're still trying to reach, especially in Ontario? We have very few, if any, non-member departments. And the one thing is that we don't, we don't isolate. We, at the end of the day, we're going to speak on behalf of the Ontario Fire Service to try and do the best for the most. And we know even our even our position on on certification, we know that there are departments that don't see this as necessary. I mean, we're a large organization. We'll never get 100% consensus. So um, the board of directors and I, we always focus on trying to do the best for the most. So we really go with what we think is going to help the majority of our members. And, and we try and find that consensus and provide support as we can. Rob Grimwood is the uh, deputy chief in Mississauga and the uh, president of the uh, Ontario Association of Fire Chiefs. Chief uh, Rob, thanks very much. Uh, it's been a pleasure and, and uh, sharing the insights of what you're doing in Ontario. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate being a guest. Thank you for joining Firefighting in Canada, the podcast brought to you by Cubit Fire. Cubit Fire is an end-to-end -end solution for fire inspections. Cubit Fire integrates with the rest of your ecosystem and offers unparalleled user experience and performance. Visit firefightingincanada.com for more episodes.